This is Soccer Power Half Hour, part of the Armchair All-Americans Podcast Network, with your hosts Sam Henschel and Justin Davies. Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the Soccer Power Half Hour, part of the Armchair All-Americans Podcast Network. I am Sam, along with Justin. Today, we're going to be talking to you about a ton of great stuff going on in the world of soccer. The FA Cup, uh, Copa America, uh, Europa League, Champions League, everything out there. Let's get started with what was most recent. The FA Cup just happened this past weekend. Man United, West Ham, Reading, Crystal Palace, Watford, Everton, Chelsea... All move through to the quarterfinals, and Arsenal and Hull will play a replay to figure out which one of those teams will be the final team through to the quarterfinals. What did you think about this weekend's games, Justin? You know, Sam, one thing that really stuck out to me is what we talked about last week, that Manchester City-Chelsea matchup. How could we not talk about it again? We were wondering whether Chelsea would play a strong lineup, whether Man City would play a strong lineup. We talked about how much they had to lose, and it looked like they did the exact opposite. Chelsea played a, st- a solid, formidable lineup, and they looked very impressive. Man City played a lot of their youngsters, gave them a lot of good action. I think that that really showed in the scoreline, and I think Chelsea did look impressive. I think Man City rolled over, though. I mean, uh, I was looking at what was going on out there. I mean, the the guy who scored the goal, I've never heard of him before. David Fapaula, maybe? His number was 51. There were people out there, number 72, 75, 73, 64, 55. Uh, these players who are 18, 19 years old don't even have pictures online on the on the score sheet. I They said that they were going to do it, and not surprised that they did it. I don't know that we can give Chelsea a huge amount of credit for putting five down on a bunch of 18 and 19 year olds especially when at one point it was 1-1 I mean it was 1-1 at halftime so I I don't know if that was super impressive to me a team that did impress me and I know this is going to be a little bit paradoxical because I'm talking about West Ham who played Blackburn obviously Blackburn uh, not in the Premier League in the championship and and they also won 5-1 West Ham but it just seems that that team with uh, Dimitri Payet back is a team that has shown a lot of quality and definitely has an ability to move forward in this competition. And I think if teams continue to go the route of Man City and sort of lie down, West Ham might be a sneak thought to get through to a final here. Besides that, I think that Man United delivered when they had to. I mean, if they would have lost to Shrewsbury, it would have been a storm. Reading beating West Brom is just sad for West Brom. Uh, Spurs... I don't know what to say about that. I mean, they hit the post maybe six different times. Everton-Bournemouth is another Everton-Bournemouth you would have never been able to predict who had won that. Watford cleaned up against Leeds, and, and Hull had a great game against Arsenal. I hope they go through. I bet you Arsenal will probably go through. And I think if Arsenal goes through, they're probably the favorites, as it is to go back to back to back. And that's kind of a, that's, that's a kind of scary proposition to me. I mean... I don't know. What are your thoughts as to who has the best chance to make it all the way through this? Well, Sam, you mentioned a couple names, and a couple do stick out to me. I think West Ham is a good dark horse pick. They're a very strong team, especially when they're playing at home. I know that they beat up on Blackburn, but it's okay. Dimitri Pai is back. I think that they can be stiff competition for most teams in this. I think Chelsea, like we said, you know, they have Champions League against PSG. We don't know if they're going to progress. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But this could be their only chance at a trophy this season. I could see them continuing to play a strong lineup. But yeah, why why don't you want to pick Arsenal? You know, they look great right now. And especially after the thrashing against Barcelona earlier this week, this might be a big trophy for them to win. So I think Arsenal are the favorites. But I do think Chelsea looks like a formidable opponent. And West Ham as a dark horse also could have a good chance at winning it. 
So, I mean, we're already at the quarterfinal stage, and of course those matches take place uh, across the weekend of uh, March 11th to March 14th, most of them taking place on Saturday the 12th, um, although we don't really know a lot of the dates and times yet. Definitely we'll be looking out for Everton-Chelsea, that'll be really nice. Uh, Man United and West Ham uh, will be really nice, and then Reading-Crystal Palace and one of Arsenal or Hull versus Watford will probably both be pretty good, but but not sort of... Uh, the featured games of the weekend. Out of those matchups, what 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 sort of sticks out to you? You know, Sam, in my opinion, I think it's a great slate of matchups. I think the one that really sticks out to me is Everton and Chelsea. I think Everton is someone that we haven't really given enough credit yet. They beat a good Bournemouth team, and they have a good quality team, I think. I think that they'll give Chelsea a stiff matchup, and I think that the game between Reading and Crystal Palace will be also interesting. I think it might be one of those games that not that many people pay attention to, but Crystal Palace, in a similar situation to West Ham, don't have... A chance to win many trophies this season they're going to want to put out a good lineup and get a good showing in this game who wouldn't want to see a team like Reading or Hull do well that's what the magic of the FA Cup is all about right and and we've seen something like that happen in the past of course Wigan beating Man City and then getting relegated immediately after but the last time we've seen a championship side win an FA Cup it, it's been a while uh, and I think uh, every chance you get to see something like that happen, a team like that get down to the wire, get this close, it's. Uh, I think all eyes should definitely be watching, at least Reading, if not Hull, if they manage to make it through, for, for something pretty cool. Yeah, Sam, well, let me tell you, if Hull managed to get the result against Arsenal, which they have done in the past, and they played a good draw, a 0-0 draw out in the last uh, last round, I think if they do get manage to get past Arsenal, why not? Why can't they win this? So, we've talked about what happened just recently over the past weekend. Let's talk about stuff that's going on this week. And, uh, of course, we record on Tuesday uh, through the magic of editing and, and whatnot. It takes a couple of days to make it sound so nice when we get it to you on Thursday. So, we've seen the Champions League matches that happen on Tuesday. That would be Arsenal and Barcelona and Bayern Munich and Juve. But we haven't seen what's going on on Wednesday and Thursday. And so, we'll talk uh, from today's perspective on what we've seen. We've seen most of the Champions League's fixtures that have that have happened over the past uh, two weeks. What sort of stuck out to you? I know today uh, Arsenal, Barcelona, and Juve against Bayern were both incredible matches to watch. Uh, I know Ghent Wolfsburg last week was absolutely nuts, and I know uh, PSG Chelsea is definitely something to keep an eye out. What, if anything, do you point to as the best match of the Champions League round of 16 so far? I don't think anyone can ignore that Bayern Munich Juventus game. I mean, that is just a dream matchup in the quarterfinals. These are two teams that were playing in the semifinals last year. I think the youngster Paulo Dybala for Juventus looked very strong with his first Champions League goal. He's a promising young talent. I think the 2-2 result showed good th- good signs for both sides. It showed that Juventus can definitely compete with Bayern Munich. A lot of people kind of counted them out, even though they were in the finals last year. And Bayern Munich, two strong away goals, even though Mueller's is a little bit of a tap-in. You know, I think that it's setting up a really, really good matchup in Munich in a couple of weeks. When you go 2-0 down to Bayern Munich, most people don't think that you're going to come back from that deficit. And Juventus definitely, you know, made the right moves. They made some great substitutions who linked up for that second goal. And of course, Dybala with the first goal. They came back and they turned it around and they're definitely on somewhat even footing. Of course, they'll need to win or draw with the same score in Munich simply because of the away goals rule 
and uh, you never really want to give Munich an advantage, but um, they they have it now, and it'll be interesting to see. The other game today, uh, Arsenal and Barcelona, I really enjoyed watching personally. I thought uh, it was really, really good defense from both sides, although, I mean, it sort of broke down, and there were counterattacks, lucky moments, Giroud made a mistake here and there, and... Both teams were probing. Of course, Barcelona was probing a little bit harder, but it was a very high counter-attacking game. And Barcelona just, I think at the end, opened it up and got the luckier counter-attack, put it away, and then Flamini comes on to try and shore up at the back, protect a 1-0 deficit, and he immediately gives away a penalty. And then, you know, Messi's not going to miss. Although recently he has missed, but Messi's not one to miss two penalties in a row. It was really interesting to watch sort of the atmosphere of that of that tie change over the course of maybe five, six minutes. Barcelona now firmly in the driver's seat with a 2-0 aggregate lead, both of those away. Arsenal would need to win 2-0, you know, to even have a chance to go to extra time. It's a tough one. I definitely enjoyed watching it. What were your thoughts from watching that? From a counterattacking perspective, it was definitely a very interesting game. Definitely a big chess match going on in there. I thought that Barcelona eventually broke them down. Like they do to most teams, Arsenal held on strong for about 75 minutes there until Messi got that first goal. I think that this makes a big statement to Arsenal. I think that throughout the season, they've been gathering a lot of hype. And if there is a team that's going to knock them off that high horse, it is Barcelona. And I think Barcelona humbled them a little bit. I think that they're going to come in to the Camp new in a couple of weeks and look to get a shock result. But I don't think it's going to happen. I think Barcelona have to be the favorites at this point for this competition. I don't know about favorites for the entire competition. Uh, you know, repeat is obviously really tough to do, but I think favorites for this draw and favorites to make it to a final, I would definitely agree with that sentiment. Uh, of course, Chelsea played uh, PSG last week. They got an away goal, uh, ended up losing 2-1. Uh, do you think that they have what it takes to stay in, uh, especially at home, or do you think PSG, guys like Zlatan, and at the back you have Thiago Silva. I mean, can, can they sort of out class Chelsea are they on an equal level what, what are your thoughts I think that PSG are certainly on a little bit of a higher level and this is something that we have talked about PSG needs to make a statement you know they've been getting out in the quarterfinals very often in the past couple of years they need to make a deep run in this tournament if they want to make a statement to world football they're going to go out there in London looking for the win but I think like we said before Chelsea has nothing to lose their season is already hit a bender, and I think that they need to get a result in this game. I think they could. Their back line is a little bit shaky, not as strong as PSG's, but I do think PSG will ultimately walk away with a tie, progressing them on. The other huge match that was happened last week was Ghent and Wolfsburg. Now, this was in Ghent in Belgium. Uh, Wolfsburg came in, of course, the team with all the hype from last year, playing well, um, not incredible, but well, uh, and Julian Draxler stepped up to the plate and, I mean, put two away within 10 minutes in the 44th minute and the 54th minute, of course, with a halftime in between. And then Cruz scoring in the 60th, and it was 3-0, and they're all away, and you're thinking, well, this is over. There's no way Ghent has any chance. And they scored twice in the 80th and the 89th minute to bring it back to 3-2 with uh, maybe a solid chance to win that tie. I mean, what are your thoughts on just that sort of comeback you know, it, very, it was a very impressive comeback, I think, by, by Ghent. You know, they, they didn't hang their heads low. They really kept fighting to the end, and they got two great goals at home out of it. I really don't see them moving on past Wolfsburg, though. They're going to be a tough team in this competition to beat. I don't know if they could beat a team with the likes of Bayern Munich or 
Barcelona, Real Madrid, but I think that they are a solid team, and I don't think Ghent have the quality on their on their side to beat them. Uh, of what we're going to see tomorrow, uh, PSV and Atletico Madrid, or Dinamo Kiev and Manchester City, which are you more excited for? You know, Sam, I think I'm more excited for Manchester City, Dinamo Kiev. Dinamo Kiev had a decently strong group performance, and I, but I do think Manchester City needs to make a statement against them, especially after that embarrassing result against Chelsea. And I, I definitely think Man City will come out with something to prove. I think you're just saying that because you're more excited to see how badly Man City have something to prove. I think the more exciting match in itself will probably be PSV versus Atletico, mostly because those sides are a little bit closer in terms of a matchup. I think Atletico will probably wipe the floor with PSV. I think it'll be sort of entertaining. I, I know it's kind of hard to say when you're saying somebody's going to wipe the floor with another team, but you're going to be entertained by it. That's understandably a little weird, but I, I think that's going to be the better game tomorrow. Well, Sam, Atletico Madrid just have a rock-solid defense. They've given up the least amount of goals in La Liga, and they have a very impressive and entertaining, like you just said, attacking front couple of players with Griezmann, and, well, Jackson Martinez has departed now, but, you know, they still have a couple very promising players up front, and I think that they're going to put in a lot of goals in this matchup. Moving on to the other competition in Europe, the Europa League, of course, like I've said, uh, we only know what happened last week. And let's take a look at what happened last week. There were a couple of big-time results that we'll talk about. Spurs and Fiorentina drew 1-1. Dortmund handled Porto 2-0. Manchester United goes down to Midtjylland 2-1. Augsburg and Liverpool draw 0-0. And the biggest score of that day was Valencia beating Rapid Vienna 6-0. That's a big, big win for Valencia. Which one of those uh, stood out the most to you? I think Gary Neville has to be very happy with that 6-0 win. Valencia has been struggling, especially since he's taken over at the helm. And that was a huge result to them. But also, you can't ignore the man you lost in Denmark. That was so surprising. I mean, we just didn't see it coming. But of course, a lot of people say they did because Manchester's looked subpar lately. I think Manchester's going to come back, though, and you know, kind of give them a little bit of heat. And I think that they're going to move on to the next round. I personally just think it's time to give the team to Giggs. I think maybe they probably should have tried to get Neville, who of course is having this success at Valencia. I I think that their plan right now of trying to find some big-name manager and bring in new big-name players and then trade that for a big-name manager who's going to bring in new big-name players. And if the rumors are true, they're going out and getting one of the biggest-name managers, Jose Mourinho, and he will go get his big-name players. And I just don't think that this is the way they need to be doing it. I think Man United need to realize that they ended an era. It's kind of hard to sustain that kind of era for as long as they did, and they've ended it. I think it's now time for them to reload, rebuild, hand it to a new manager that they know loves the club, loves the culture, and will stick around for a long time. And I I think that they're going to do this maybe three or four years too late. And I think it's going to hurt the Manchester United outlook in the long run. Maybe in the next two years they have a resurgence under Mourinho, but we've seen him be a three, four-year manager at best and then burn out and burn out all the players as well. So I think within five years they'll be right where they're sitting right now and we'll have to wait for them to get back to where they are. Of course, I'm not complaining. Them falling out of the top four opens up another spot for Spurs. And the same with Liverpool. I I think that, you know, both these teams had such a great time of dominance and they've sort of receded a little bit and they're trying to reclaim it in a way that involves spending money. And sometimes you just need to sit back, reload, rebuild and wait for the right time. And I, I don't think they are. Well, Sam, it really is an end of an era. And I think that they know that in Manchester. And I think the reason why they're going after Jose Mourinho is that a lot of people were thinking Ryan Giggs was part of that era. 
that that great era for Manchester United with Paul Scholes and David Beckham and plenty of other great talents coming in through there. They don't want to put in the next Sir Alex Ferguson type of manager who won't be as good as him. I think they just want to recreate their identity a little bit. I think it might be time for that. That's what they're going for. Personally, in my opinion, I don't think you can go wrong with Ryan Giggs. He knows everything that is Manchester United. He's played there until he was nearly 40. I mean, this guy knows what Manchester United is. He knows what the club is. He lives it. He is Manchester United. And I just think he is going to be the best coach for them long term. I think if they hire a guy like Jose Mourinho, like you said, he could burn out after three or four seasons and cause a whole bit of chemistry going going south in that locker room. Of course, we were talking about the Europa League. I know we went on a little bit of a tangent. But besides Valencia's big win, anyone out there you saw that sort of uh, peeks out to you as favorites to win this whole thing? Or do you think it's still wide open between the group of five or six teams that we mentioned last week? I think, I think it's got to be Dortmund at this point. Dortmund look impressive. You know, I just I just think that they're the clear-cut favorites for me, in my opinion. Yeah, I would have to agree with you. I think Dortmund is obviously the best team remaining. Of course, there there is that group of five or six teams we talked about behind them that definitely have some sort of chance to do something, but I think they'll all have to make it through Dortmund eventually, and I don't really think that anyone is favored against them right now. Uh, of course, that could change. Injuries happen, uh, form changes, but right now they're definitely the favorite. So moving on to uh, what we'll be looking forward to next weekend, and that's the return of the Premier League. While we've been gone from the Premier League over the last week or so, there have been a couple of big news stories that we can talk about. First up, Everton uh, have decided that Tim Howard is going to be the second-choice goalkeeper with Joel Robles uh, being promoted to first string. Does this sort of mark the end of Tim Howard's England English career? Is he coming back? You know, there are rumors that he wants a lot of money from Colorado Rapids to come to the MLS. He said that he wants to come back to the United States national team, but who knows if he'll be behind Brad Guzan, who of course isn't really having that great of a year either on Aston Villa. Uh, is this sort of the end of his time in England? Unfortunately, Sam, I think it might be. I think he's going to demand a lot of money. He's got he doesn't have a big ego, but I, I know he thinks very highly of himself, and I think he wants a lot of money, money that some of these MLS teams cannot pay. I think China might even come knocking at his door. I don't see him going to China. I think he'll snub China for the MLS, um, but I, I don't know. You know, I think USA has, has been blessed with plenty of really great goalkeepers. I don't know if he's going to be able to make a comeback to that national team, and I don't know if I could see him moving to a small market MLS club like Colorado Rapids, I could see him moving to a bigger club maybe in MLS with the funds to get him, of course. Anything is possible. I think Colorado is the team that showed the interest right now, but that doesn't mean that anything is set in stone. Uh, the other big news, uh, Chelsea... Um, have sort of made some moves, and it looks as if right now rumors are circulating that uh, Antonio Conte, the current Italy manager, will become the new Chelsea manager after the Euros this summer. Now, none of this is confirmed, of course, it's all rumors, but it seems that uh, a lot is flying around that the Chelsea technical director was at that Juve versus Bayern game today, uh, on Tuesday, and he talked with Conte about becoming the manager who he was also there looking for his Italy squad. Uh, do you think that there's fire behind this where there's smoke, there's fire? Or do you think that it's just the rumor mills trying to churn something up? You know, Sam, I think everything is lining up perfectly. He is, like you said, the current manager of Italy, and he's under contract until right after the Euros. After the Euros, it's up in the air where he's going to be. 
I think the Euros could be pivotal for him to sign a couple players for Chelsea as well. You know, he has a proven track record. He's a Juventus legend. He was the former captain, captain, and he's gotten it done in Serie A and the Champions League as a player and as a coach. He's been very successful as well. He's had 10 years at Arezzo, Bari, Atlanta, Siena, and of course, his, his home club, Juventus. He's won multiple Serie A's, and he actually resigned himself in 2014. He laid the foundation work for them to be the club that they are today and got them back to be a world football power. Why can't he do it with Chelsea, Sam? I don't see why he can't. I mean, he's highly successful, obviously. He uh, is a good tactician. He knows what he's doing. He's proven his ability. The only thing is that I just don't understand why... Roman Abramovich always has to do the same thing. Right now, he's got a manager in Gusidink who, for the second time, has come in to be an interim manager and is proving to be successful, at least based on what we saw in the first half of the season for this Chelsea team. I mean, in 2009, he won the FA Cup and then went back to being the manager of Russia. There's nothing that says that Roman Abramovich couldn't have offered him enough money in 2009 to become the manager of Chelsea. I don't know why he didn't. Now, it's the same thing. He's going to manage them well, they're going to win a lot of games, they're going to perform well, and they have so far, and then he's going to let him walk away again? To do what? He's not the coach of the Netherlands anymore. He's been sitting around on his butt for the last year, and it just doesn't make any sense to me why they wouldn't just sign Goose Heating to a contract. I mean, after two chances, you'd think that he'd finally get a chance to make it his own way. I, I just don't understand it. I don't understand it either, Sam. I think much like Real Madrid, nobody really understands their management. They have a revolving door at Chelsea. They've gone through so many coaches, even luring Mourinho back from Madrid, the other revolving door in Europe, and that didn't even work out. You know, I think that he does deserve a chance, but Conti is very appealing to them, and I think he could be a great coach for them. And that's definitely true. And I mean, with him comes his knowledge and his player set, right? Of course, every manager has their favorite players and players that like them. Do you think that he could pull some players from Italy, from his squad, to come join him in London? Or do you think that that's just wishful thinking? It is not wishful thinking by any means. He is a strict tactician. His formation that he likes is the 3-5-2 and the 4-2-4. Those are the formations he runs, and he needs specific players to run that. With all of his ties to Juventus, could this be the move to lure Paul Pogba to the Premier League? This could be it. They need a guy like him in there. They can bring in so many big names. He's coached so many great players. He's played against so many great players. I mean, this could be the guy to bring in some big names, much like Pep Guardiola might do for Manchester City up north a little bit in England. I think that he has a great Italian influence that he could bring to Chelsea, and he could bring a very specific and potentially amazing player set to Chelsea as well. Well, it's certainly not like he doesn't know how to bring in the big names, and it's certainly not like Chelsea doesn't know how to spend that big money, but I can't see Paul Pogba going this summer to a club that isn't playing in the Champions League next year. I mean, it's what everybody has said about teams like Spurs and Liverpool when they fell out of the ranks. Yes, money is money, but teams will go to teams that play in the Champions League or stay at their current teams that play in the Champions League, and I don't know why he would move for that. Yeah, Sam, you bring up a great point there. But the only thing I will play devil's advocate with you on that one is China. You know, they've signed so many great players like Jackson Martinez, who's in the middle of his prime, and he went for the money too. So why wouldn't Paul Pogba? He could be the face of their restructure. Sure, I think that there might be better offers on the table like Madrid, Barcelona, or Man City. But why not, you know? I see where you're coming from, but at the end of the day, it's up to the club to decide what offer they take. 
And if a team like Real or Barcelona want him, the money will be there for him. So we'll see what Juventus decides to do and what Paul Pogba decides to do this summer. Completely. I think the money could be there from Chelsea. You know, like I said, I do think that Real Madrid, Barcelona, or Manchester City are probably the three favorites to sign him. But I think with Conti, that could change the game a little bit. That could get Chelsea in that race. They certainly have the money. And, you know, why wouldn't Juventus want to sell him to a non-Champions League sign? You know, they don't want to see their own boy punish them just like they had with Alvo Morata, who punished Real Madrid last year. I'm just not sure if that ticks all the boxes for Pogba. I mean, he's one of the best midfielders in the world. It just doesn't, it just doesn't add up to me. But anyways, moving on from Chelsea and Paul Pogba and Antonio Conte to something that's coming up this summer that we just saw the draw for, the 2016 Copa America. So this is the 100th edition of Copa America, held especially in the United States. We'll be seeing a lot of teams from South America and some from North America as well. What you need to know if you're a United States fan, we are in Group A, drawn with Colombia, Costa Rica, and Paraguay. I mean, that's the best team out of Pot 4, the best team out of Pot 3, and a really good team out of Pot 2, even though they're probably not better than Uruguay. Uruguay or Chile, they're still the they're still a world power. I mean, we've drawn the hardest possible group, and it just is disheartening. I mean, of course, we drew the group of death in the World Cup last year or two years ago. We managed to make that happen. Uh, this is a little bit different. I think that if the United States make it through, they'll probably only make it through in second. And if they do make it through in second, uh, you would think that Brazil will roll against Ecuador, Haiti, and Peru. And you would see the United States match up against Brazil in New York on June 17th. That's like a must watch. Of course, this is presuming that the United States makes it through. Otherwise, Mexico, um, they got Uruguay in their group. They got Venezuela. They got Jamaica, Argentina, got Bolivia, Chile, and Panama. Uh, I mean, those are your four groups. Brazil right now is the favorites to win. Argentina not far behind. Uh, what do you think? You know, it's almost comical at this point. Even when we're a host nation, we still get the group of death. Colombia, amazing team. Costa Rica made a great run in the World Cup. And Paraguay, like you said, they're a very strong team as well. They have some players in Europe. They're not going to be an easy opponent, to say the least. I think that, you know, there could be some positives drawn from this, even though we mostly drew the negatives in the draw, such as these good teams. I think that these are the kinds of groups that are going to make the U.S. national team a, a very, very good team. If we get these cupcake groups like we could have gotten in the World Cup and we could have gotten in this competition, we're not going to be ready for the big stage. So I think getting these group of deaths, in short-sightedness, it could be kind of bad for America. You know, sometimes we, not, we have a shot of not even progressing, a good chance of not even progressing in this group. But I think playing these tough teams repeatedly on a big stage in a real competition, not just friendlies, could be pivotal for America establishing themselves as a world soccer potential World Cup winner or power. I don't know. I mean, what do you think, Sam? Do you see them even progressing from this group? I would hope that they could. I think, um, you know, it's obviously tough. Costa Rica, of course, rivals in a big way with the United States. We've played them a lot and we've played them hard and we've played them close. I think those games are full toss-ups. I think uh, we'll have to perform against Colombia. We'll need a draw, I think, if anything. Uh, and we'll have to beat Paraguay. Um, it's not impossible to come in second in, in that respect. think that just as easily as it could go that way, it could go the other way. And we won't really know until we see what kind of team Jurgen Klinsmann selects to come with him and the kind of teams that these other nations select. Some of them have said that they'll pick secondary teams to help prep for the Olympics, which is also 
next summer, of course. I think the U.S. has a chance, especially as the host nation. But I don't, I don't know. I think that this is definitely, like you said, a good experience for growth. I think that if we don't perform this time, it may finally be time to wave goodbye to Jurgen Klinsmann. And I think we owe him a lot as a nation, uh, as a team, for what he's done. But time and time again, it's shown that he is very good at building a program, but he's not the best at following through. Uh, he's built an incredible program here. He's built some incredible pipelines between the United States and Europe and players of um, multiple nationalities to choose the United States over some other countries. And I think that that's really awesome. And I wish that he would perhaps stay on as director of operations and allow someone else to take the managerial reins, but I don't think that's possible. I think if we don't perform, I think it's time to wave goodbye to him and to bring in the next guy who can hopefully take advantage of Klinsman's really good system that he's built to push this team to the next level. You know, it doesn't even really seem fair with the draws that we've gotten to even be considering waving goodbye to Jurgen Clinton. It's because we have such high standards for our teams, and that's fair. We should have high standards. But, you know, I think, like you said, Clemson is a builder, and he's done a great job building this team. Are we built tough enough yet to let go of him? That's going to be the real question here. You know, like you said, Sam, we are on home soil. I think that is a big factor in this. And if some of these teams roll out their Olympic squads and not their real national teams that they would put in the World Cup, I do think us. I do, I do think that we have a good chance of progressing. Let's talk about Group C now. Mexico, Uruguay, Jamaica, Venezuela. Pretty solid group as well. Do you think that's the group of death over Group A? Do you think USA definitely did get the short draw here? No, I don't. I don't think that's the group of death. I think uh, Uruguay is obviously a clear favorite to advance from that group. People rate Mexico way higher than they probably should be, uh, mostly because they beat up on the United States a few months ago, which is a whole different story. Uh, Jamaica has their streaky moments. Um, they can show up or they can decide not to show up. And uh, Venezuela is, I mean, they're not great. So I, I think that the path is open for Mexico and Uruguay. Uh, I think if Mexico decides to falter, then maybe Jamaica could sneak in. But I, I don't think they really have that chance. I think that they got off pretty easy. Yeah, Sam, I'm with you on this one. I think Uruguay is the favorite to win this group. Mexico, if they can play consistent soccer, I think they're going to go through as well. But Jamaica might be able to sneak up on them if they're not playing consistent. If they play like Mexico sometimes does play in these types of competitions. But yeah, I agree with you. I think USA definitely got the group of death. And, you know, it it sucks. It sucks, especially because it's on our home soil. It's a big chance for our fans to get engaged with the game of soccer. You know, we the I, I'm sure the U.S. men's national team would hope to have a couple easy matchups to invigorate the game of soccer, get these fans excited to see America playing so well on the home soil. But this is the draw. We got some good teams, and hopefully we can get some results out of it. All right, so final thoughts. One thing in the world of soccer that you want us to pay attention to this week? You know, Sam, I think this weekend with the Premier League being back, Manchester United Arsenal. Manchester United's got a lot to gain. Maybe they can sneak up and give Arsenal... A tough game. Hopefully they can get a draw or a loss so Tottenham can streak ahead of them and the title race can become a little bit more clear. For me, the thing to watch out for this week is, well, something to watch out for, I guess it's next week technically, is the finalization of those Champions League uh, fixtures. I think there's a lot to watch out there. In specifics, you'll want to see if Real Madrid can hang on. You'll want to see if Chelsea can advance against PSG. That's definitely something to keep your eye on. That just about does it for me and Justin. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, as always, we are on iTunes, we are on SoundCloud, we are on the website, Facebook, Twitter, everywhere you think you can find us, you probably can. So go and take a look, subscribe, like, listen, favorite. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys.